Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Sunday, January 28th. Happy International Lego Day, which are these little plastic interlocking colored bricks that were patented on this date in 1958. But I think today it's also acceptable to celebrate anything that's easy to find in the dark. Stepping on Legos is the worst. One time I stepped on one and cut my foot and had to get a Tetris shot. I didn't have Legos when I was growing up and the first time I ever saw a box of them, I didn't know what to make of it. One time though, back in the 80s, for a contest, I made a Lego sculpture of Bonnie Tyler. I still have it, but every now and then it falls apart. A new Lego store recently opened up here in my hometown. People were lined up for blocks. Okay, you're right, I'm sorry. Let me start over. Happy Pop Art Day, which is art that celebrates popular culture. Think like comic books, or that painting of Kramer from Seinfeld or t-shirts with funky sayings on them, of which I have several. Speaking of which, in my five minutes of research, I stumbled across a t-shirt on a Christian website with a little red cross on it that said, this shirt is illegal in 53 countries. And I remembered something the squaw's professor told her. He said there's two kinds of conformists, those that do everything everybody else does and those that do nothing anybody else does. Same thing either way, just like our political parties. So you can dress normal because it's normal, or you can dress weird because it's not. But they're just two sides of one coin and nobody will care. But a t-shirt with a little red cross on it goes decidedly against pop culture. And 27% of Earth will want to imprison or kill you or both. And almost everybody else will harass you. Like that dude who got kicked out of that mall in Minnesota the other day for wearing a Jesus Loves You shirt. And I'm gonna tell you, that makes me really want to start selling Bible Y'all t-shirts. Our reading for today is Exodus 5:22 through 7:25, Matthew 18:21 through 19:12, Psalm 23:1 through 6, and Proverbs 5:22 and 23. So if y'all are ready, but hey, listen, if you do get bounced out the mall or fired or something for being Christian, don't sweat it. All that means is they kicked you out of hell. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday on the 27th in the Old Testament, we read Exodus 4.1 through 5.21, and Moses is out in the middle of nowhere with the sheep, and God appears to him by way of a burning bush and tells him, go get my people out of Egypt. But Moses is like, I can't do that. And instead of God saying, yes, you can, God says, I know, don't worry about that. I'm going with you and I'll take care of it. And that's got to be in the top five of major profound things in the Bible. If you can't get at least three sermons out of that, you just ain't trying. (laughs) But Moses is way too inside his own head about it, and he don't think he can pull it off. He can't think outside the box enough. All God has told him to do was just to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. That's it. But Moses is like, nah, they won't listen to me. So God says, what you got in your hand? Moses says, a rod. It's probably a shepherd's staff. God says, okay, throw it down over there. And he did, and it turned into a snake. And Moses ran from it. But God goes and gets him and says, just grab it by the tail. And he does, and it's his rod again. It's a good dad. (laughs) And God explains to him, this is the kind of miracle I'm going to do with you when you get there, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Notice God does not say, so they'll let my people go, because he knows that won't do it. 
which makes me think this little display was for Moses' benefit to get him to agree. Next, God says, put your hand inside your coat. So he does, and when he pulls it out, it's all leprous and full of death. And he does it again, and it's fine. God says if they won't hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And I wonder if that second sign wasn't partially for Moses too, as if God was trying to say, Moses, you really don't want to cross me on this. But either way, Moses still wants to argue about it. He says, Lord, I am not eloquent, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Most people think that means he had a stutter or some kind of speech impediment, but nobody knows for sure. And that wasn't enough to convince God to change his mind, because God's like, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? What do I care if you think you can do this or not? I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to go with your mouth too. (laughs) And you'll say what I put in there for you to say. But Moses still ain't on board. He's like, Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him who thou wilt send, as long as it ain't me. (laughs) By this point, even God is losing patience. And he's like, Moses, I'm sorry if I gave you the impression that this was a discussion, because it's not. That's why I keep saying shall and not if you feel like it. (laughs) If you're really that worried about your slow tongue, you can let your brother Aaron do all the talking for you. Now get up and do what I tell you. Or the next time you see me coming, you better run. (laughs) It's a Bob Dylan song. Turns out that wasn't going to be very long. Because as soon as Moses goes back to tell his father-in-law that he's got to go do something, God appears to him one more time to tell him that everybody in Egypt that wanted him dead is now dead themselves. So it's safe to go back. Just to take that stressor off of him, I guess. And it's in this second vision that he reveals to Moses that after the Egyptians don't listen and don't let Israel, God's firstborn, go, Part of God's negotiation tactics will be to kill every firstborn thing in Egypt. And it's fascinating to me that Moses had to agree and begin this act of following God before God would reveal that to him. That speaks volumes about a lot of things on a lot of levels. And this next part is weird and hard to understand. It says, And it came to pass by the way in the inn, which is a mistranslation. It might have been an inn, but the word just means a lodging place and is more likely a cave or under some trees or something just wherever they happen to decide to spend the night. Anyway, while they're there, the Lord met him and sought to kill him. And the Septuagint says the angel of the Lord, which is probably more accurate than the KJV. But why though? I mean, he was doing what he was told. What was God's problem? Well, Zipporah, Moses' wife, shows us. Because she took a sharp stone and circumcised their son and threw the foreskin at Moses' feet, which means he had not been circumcised already. Because that's not something you do twice. And that's a major rule violation for Moses. Circumcision is the thing that formalizes the Jews' holiness. They're coming out of the world. That Moses hadn't done this was indicative of his having one foot still in the world. And since Egypt is often used in the Bible to represent the world, this is his decision point. Zipporah apparently recognized this better than he did. Probably she saw the vision too, and was not about to allow him to go off on this mission half-cocked. So she took care of it, and then the angel let him go. Then Zipporah says, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. And more accurately, what she said was, Because you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And according to the Cambridge Commentary, the term blood bridegroom was some kind of colloquial saying of the time, and referred to the Jews' custom of circumcision. And the way the King James is written, it sounds like she's being hostile with Moses, but the idea is, The reason Moses had incurred God's wrath was because he was not a blood bridegroom. 
because he didn't circumcise his son like he was supposed to, so she fixed that for him. And now he can get on with his mission. And soon as we get that bit of distasteful business out of the way, God appears to Aaron and says, go meet your brother Moses in the wilderness. And Aaron does not argue. He just gets up and does it. (laughs) And the two of them met with the people of Israel and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed and worshipped God. Okay, so far so good. In chapter 5, Moses and Aaron go see Pharaoh. And they're like, God says to let us go three days in the wilderness and worship. And Pharaoh blows a gasket. He's like, who is this Lord guy that I, the king of the world, should listen to him? I ain't letting nothing go. And Moses and Aaron are like, no, seriously, you need to let us go. We're asking nice. Do you want God to fall on us with pestilence and the sword? Because this is how you get pestilence and swords. (laughs) But no go. Pharaoh's like, who do y'all think y'all are to tell me when the Jews can work or not? Y'all need to shut up and get back to work with them. Matter of fact, because of this little stunt, just to show you how much of a jerk I can be, I'm going to take away all their straw. But they still got to make the same number of bricks every day. All them monuments to my greatness ain't going to build themselves. (laughs) So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Why you got to do us like this? And Pharaoh was like, Well, how y'all feel about sacrificing in the wilderness now? And the answer was, Not good, because they immediately met with Moses and Aaron and blamed them for all they were going through. So yesterday they worshipped God for sending these two to save them, and now they want to go back on the deal, because it turns out it's going to be a fight. And I'm struck that in the Old Testament, the Jews are portrayed as both fickle and stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and what a nightmare of a combination of personality traits that is. Of course, that's exactly the kind of people God would choose as his own just to make a point. And it's still true, and they know it. Because the Jews have this saying that if you want four different opinions, find two Jews. <laughs> but that's as far as we read. Yeah, so things tend to get harder before they get better. And how do we react to that? Do we stay confident in God's plan, the source of our hope? The Hebrews had a few tough days, but the plagues probably gave them some time off. They could use their imagination about how good God must be or worry about what Pharaoh would do to them next. The choice was theirs. And then in the New Testament, we read Matthew 18, 1-20, which starts out, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So right after Jesus had just got done predicting that he would be rejected by the Jews and condemned and crucified, the apostles were still entertaining worldly and selfish ambitions of wealth and honor and power and arguing with each other over who would be the greatest. But Jesus wasn't having it. He's like, well, none of y'all, that's for sure. See this little kid over here? Verily I say unto you, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you can't become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You ain't even getting in. Matter of fact, whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea, which was actually a form of capital punishment in the days prior to Jesus, but by then it had become more like a proverb. And by offend, he means to turn them away from God. He says that's going to happen in the world, nothing you can do about that. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. So if your hand or foot offend thee, cut them off. Because it's better to be a saved cripple than run into hell. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. For the same reason. And I do not believe that's a metaphor. I think he's serious. I don't think he means for it to be plan A. (laughs) 
But, you know, you got to deal with that recurring sin in your life. And verse 10 says, take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. In other words, don't hurt the kids. And I'm talking to y'all, everybody who hung out with Jeffrey Epstein. For I say unto you that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my father, which is in heaven. Oh, they got their own angels that are always in the same room with God. I wonder if all them Hollywood and government Epstein types find that even the least bit disconcerting. I mean, I don't want anybody to go to hell, but some less than others. And Jesus don't either. He came to save them. In verse 11, he says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one runs off, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? And when he finds it, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine that stuck around? Well, that's how God feels about all these wretched sinners, even the Epstein types. He doesn't want them to go to hell, but it's not up to him. Jesus says, so if your brother sins against you, go talk to him in private about it first. If that doesn't work, you can involve a couple other people to help. If that doesn't work, you can take it to the church and let them make the final decision about him. And I suspect the word church was Matthew's word, because when Jesus said this, the church didn't technically exist yet, not till Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection. When Matt wrote this, it was after that, so he may have just said it that way for efficiency. But maybe not. Jesus might have said it that way if he was talking about how things were to be organized in the near future. Jesus said and did way more than is recorded in the Bible, so I think we should assume the disciples knew a lot more than we know of now. He says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And that's good news. And that does not mean that just because two of you pray that God will contradict his own word. He has a plan and we are not allowed to interfere with that. But if something is his will, sometimes he wants us to be involved in the fulfillment of it. And there is a third category, stuff that's neither his will nor in opposition to it. That's a gray area. And you can pray for stuff in that gray area too. But that's as far as we read. I'm thinking about those folks that hear Jesus say, I never knew you. They did stuff that looked like fruit or good works. They operated in something other than God and didn't realize it. If we gather in his name, we're in the vine unless our conversation takes us out of it. Sometimes prayer meetings can turn into gossip sessions, repeating things that ought not be said out loud. God already knows the details. And we're told love covers a multitude of sins. So if we love our brother, we are not going to make it harder for him to be healed and return. If we don't love the truth, we will believe a lie that can take us out of the vine. Just two or three gathering to fellowship, to brag on God and be thankful. He is there. He's expecting us to listen, I think, so that we know what to bind and what to loose in the earth. And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 22, 19-31. And this is still that psalm that seems to have been written from the point of view of Jesus on the cross. But in the second half, it's less obvious. He still says stuff like, Be not thou far from me, O Lord, and deliver my soul from the power of the dog. Verse 21 says, Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And nobody knows what a unicorn is. The word in Hebrew is ramim. And in the Strong's, it says it's of the wild oxen and maybe refers to something called aurochs, which are these wild bulls that are now extinct, but nobody really knows. It's probably not a horse with a single horn on its forehead, 
Those aren't real. (laughs) So even though the writer of the psalm is going through some hard times, he still says, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. Our circumstances don't determine whether or not we have confidence in God. We can see beyond the senses if we love truth and seek to know God. Only then are we trustworthy with the dominion that he bought, that Jesus bought back for us and all the blessing it contains. And then in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 5, 15 through 21. And that starts out saying, drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. So we've been setting up his teachings for about five chapters. And now we start getting into some meat. And he starts with the metaphor of drinking your own water, which means a lot of things to a lot of different commentaries, like don't steal or don't mess around outside your marriage. But it was meant to be poetic, so they're probably all right. And the marriage thing may be closer to his intention, because he says, let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. But I think he's probably still using that same woman as wisdom metaphor, because he also says, and why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? There's that strange woman thing again. But bottom line, verse 21, the Lord sees all your ways and remembers everything you do, which is both comforting and worrisome. (laughs) And I find it comforting because God is always faithful. And I just want to share along that same line that many years ago, I received a personal prophecy at my church. The prophet called me out of the audience to stand up. He gave me a word, then wrapped it up with, I got to tell you right quick what I saw. And he was using uh, the example of skinning a possum. I didn't know people skinned them. Essentially, God was going to gut me, scrape out all that hinder, specifically wrong attitudes, so he could get his hand in there. I learned that day to look beyond the circumstances for the hand of God. I knew that was God, and I knew that God knew what he had to do. The Lord fixes broken things. And he really does make things new. Now that's hope, or the beginning of it. Well, darn. (laughs) But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for January 28th is Exodus 5.22 through 7.25. And Moses returned unto the Lord, and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, He hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Chapter 6. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go. And with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm, and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you in unto the land, concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. 
And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit, and for cruel bondage. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel, and unto Pharaoh king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These be the heads of their fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These be the families of Reuben, and the sons of Simeon, Jemuel and Jamin and Ohad, and Jachin and Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanitish woman. These are the families of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were an hundred and thirty and seven years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimi, according to their families. And the sons of Kohath, Amram, and Izhar, and Hebron, and Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were an hundred and thirty and three years. And the sons of Merari, Mahali, and Mushi. These are the families of Levi, according to their generations. And Amram took him Jachabed, his father's sister, to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were a hundred and thirty and seven years. And the sons of Issar, Korah, and Nepheg, and Zikri. And the sons of Uziel, Mishael, and Elzaphan, and Zithri. And Aaron took him Elishaba, daughter of Amenadab, sister of Naashan, to wife. And she bare him Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And the sons of Korah, Asir, and Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korhites. And Eleazar, Aaron's son, took him one of the daughters of Putiel to wife, and she bare him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers of the Levites according to their families. These are that Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. These are they which spake to Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Moses and Aaron. And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak thou unto Pharaoh king of Egypt all that I say unto thee. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Chapter 7 And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt, and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt, and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Shew a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, 
that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink, against he come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled, after that the Lord had smitten the river. Our reading in the New Testament for January 28th is Matthew 18:21 through 19:12. Then came Peter to him, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Chapter 19 And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee, and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? 
and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. And our reading in Psalms for January 28th is Psalm 23, 1-6. A Psalm of David The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And our reading in Proverbs for January 28 is Proverbs 5, 22 and 23. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. And that's it for the 28th. Okay, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is on 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on what you really need, because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, the Apostle Paul suffered many trials, which in his humility he rarely discussed. Though Paul begged for the thorn in his flesh to be removed, he knew that no matter what he went through, his trials caused him to depend more on Jesus, whose grace was sufficient for his needs. Father, we ask that you deliver us from trials and tribulations, but if it is your will that we suffer, help us to endure them humbly so that your strength and glory will shine through our weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yawning I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be helpful to them. Amen. You can find Bible Y'all on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google, CastBox, and Facebook. If you like what we're doing and you want to support it, what I really need is for y'all to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. If you got any prayer requests, email them to BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you can't make the world any better, just try not to make it any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all.
Volume. Volumes. Volumes. Did I say volumes? <laughs> Volume is a drug. <laughs> you just said. I always have. My whole life. I've done that. Oh, okay. Never mind. Ever since I was a kid. It's like the way I say penguin. Huh? What? You may not have noticed. I did. But I have a southern accent. It's not very pronounced, but it's there.